today, you guys, we are in Matthew chapter 24. Dun, dun, dun. You guys, we read the first two verses last week. This week, we're going to make it through five verses, I think, three through eight. So that's, yep, that's five. I can do math. So we're going to make it through five verses. You guys, we are going to be plugging through this chapter slowly. And you're like, but Pastor, we've been plugging through the whole book of Matthew slowly. You're right. This is going to even be slower. (laughs) Here's why, you guys. This whole chapter, this Olivet Discourse, as it's known, right? Because he's standing on the Mount of Olives or sitting on the Mount of Olives, as it were, and speaking to the disciples about this and, and, and disclosing things to them, right? This discourse, you guys... Is the second longest discourse Jesus ever gave us. The first one was the Sermon on the Mount, right? This is the second longest. This one, you guys, deals entirely with eschatology. That's a big word that means this, the study of end times. It's a study of end times. It's about the last things, right? It's about that scary book called Revelation, right? That everyone says revelations, but Jesus only gave one revelation, so it's the book of Revelation, right? That's what it's about. It's dealing with that type of stuff, the stuff we read about in the book of Revelation, excuse me. And my encouragement to you guys as we go through this chapter is the same encouragement I would give anywhere, but I need you to hear this today. I need you to hear this as we dig through, specifically through this chapter, even more, and that is this, be Bereans. For those of you that maybe don't know what that means, what that means is this, right? Paul was going around and he was speaking to all these different people in the New Testament. And he came across these people from the place called Berea. And we know about them only because he said, I commend these Bereans. Why? Because they heard what I said and then they went to the word and they dug it out and they figured out for themselves, is this true or not? And so you guys, we're talking about something that we don't know about. This is theories of eschatology. I need you to understand that. Theories of eschatology. Put that right up there with the theory of how the world began. <laughs> theory, keyword. We don't really know. I think we know. We know it from Genesis, but that's my thought, right? When it comes to eschatology, you guys, there's different ways of thinking about it, and that's okay, because guess who's right? Jesus. <laughs> no, nobody knows, We have ideas, we have theories, we have thoughts, but I want to encourage you guys, be Bereans, study the word, pray and ask God to reveal to you what you're hearing and what you're reading. And and then, listen, recognize that there's nothing in this section that we're going to read that is salvific. There's not one thing that we're going to come across that affects whether or not you are saved or not. How you feel about your eschatology does not affect where you will end up. The only thing that affects that is whether you believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again for your sins. That's it. That's the hill I'm going to die on. I've been told a few times that I talk about that too much. Well, too bad, guys. That's the most important thing. That's the only thing, right? Everything else is window dressing. And so you guys, nothing in this thing is worth arguing over. I'm going to say that again. There's not one thing in this whole entire chapter that is worth arguing over. So if you come across somebody that they're like, well, I don't really believe what you believe. You don't get to be like, you're wrong, right? I hold my eschatology like this with an open hand. Why? Well, here's the deal, you guys. There's these three different ways, main ways that I'm going to look at of looking at it. But can I say this? Here's the deal. 
how Jesus comes back and plans on coming back to us has been disagreed upon for many, many years by people much more learned and much more long in the tooth than any of us, right? This has been something that's been debated for thousands of years. And the fact is, is I'm going to do my best to explain what I see most clearly but I'm also going to offer you an, an overview of other opinions and other ways of looking at this because they're there. And there's people in this congregation that hold differing opinions from me. And that's okay. Right? So I want you guys to do the work of praying and reading and processing it and coming to a conclusion of your own. And it's okay if it's not my conclusion. I need you to hear that. Some notes as we begin to look at Matthew 24. Here's the deal, you guys. There's two main things that everyone agrees upon, no matter what you hold to as far as your theory of eschatology, and that is this, that Jesus lived and died and lived again here on earth. Everyone, everyone agrees with that. That's the thing that's important. Lived and died and lived again. Yes, he, re, he was resurrected. And that Jesus will return to earth someday in the future. Everyone believes that. There's not one eschatological uh, theory that doesn't hold to those two main things. So there's, there's kind of three main camps for interpreting, interpreting this chapter. And you're going to see a chart up there that is very hard to read, and I apologize. So we're going to talk a little bit about it. These three main camps, there's the premillennial view, which are the blue and the pink. And you might be like, wait, that's one view. You're right. That's one view that has differing opinions about when the rapture is going to happen or if the rapture is going to happen exactly right? So those top two, I tend towards the middle one, the pink one there, the pre-tribulational dispensational premillennialism. Say that fast three times. <laughs> what does that mean? I personally believe, I, or I'll say this, I personally really hope for <laughs> this one to be the right one. It's the one I see scripturally the most, but it doesn't mean that I'm, a, I'm not holding that very tightly. Like I said before, if I'm wrong, it's okay. It's the idea that there's there, we're in this phase now where we're waiting for Christ to return like a thief in the night and to take us away in the rapture, the church, those that are saved, and those that remain will live here throughout the tribulation period, seven years, okay? And during that period then, there will still be people that come to the Lord. They're still gonna be coming to the Lord and there's gonna be a, a huge Jewish revival. There's gonna be all these things that happen during that time and that's the way I view things and that's something that's widely held, Okay? And so then Jesus is going to return and he's going to actually step foot on earth. The battle of Armageddon is going to happen. All these things are going to happen. And then he's going to set up the millennial reign, which is a literal thousand year reign. And at the end of that thousand year reign, there'll be the last judgment, right? The great white throne. So that's happening. That's my view. I'm not going to go into the blue too much. Basically, they think we lived all the way through the tribulation. The church lives all the way through the tribulation. Then the rapture happens, then the millennial kingdom. So that's a little bit different, but essentially the same thing. There's also one that's not represented there, which is mid-trib, which says that we go halfway through the tribulation. And then before the great wrath of God, right before the great tribulation, we're raptured then. Do you know what I don't know is when and how? Nobody knows. So that's just one theory. There's another theory up there, right? Called the post-millennial view, and that's in yellow. And if you notice, there's no extra lines, that yellow one. It's just the cross and then a gray strip. That gray strip represents the millennial time. And what they believe is, is that basically that we, the church, are going to basically go ahead and go to um, 
continue to kind of bring people to Christ and bring people to Christ and that the gospel is eventually going to win out and that the gospel is going to take over the whole world and essentially we're going to hand Jesus kind of not a perfect world, but a darn close perfect world. And that those freaks that just didn't listen and didn't come to the gospel, they're the ones that are going to be judged at the end of time. And so that's the post-millennial view, which is why there's no extra lines in front of the millennium because, and we don't really know what the millennium looks like because we're not going to know when it is, right? But then at the end of that, he comes and that's it. Personally, you guys, that's the hardest one for me to see. That the church is working towards a better and better world and eventually at the end of the millennium, that's really unknown when that's going to happen. We're going to hand Jesus this world where the gospel has triumphed. Are you guys seeing that? Because I'm just not. So I find that one very, very hard to get my head around. I don't see that. But the last view, that bottom one, number four, the green one, is an amillennial view. And amillennial means this. Ah, in Greek, anytime ah is in front of a word in a Greek word, it means not. There is no millennium, millennial kingdom. So an amillennial believes this, generally. I might be wrong about this, so the amillennials can tell me later. But I, I can tell you this. It was kind of come, came, origin, the early church father origin came up with this. So this is an old view. This is something that people have held for a very long time. Augustine, you guys know that name? He held this view. This is not a view that's some wackadoodle view. The post, <laughs> I'm, I'm showing my colors. Post-millennial view came out of the enlightenment, you guys. You know what the enlightenment was? How awesome we are as humans. Doesn't it make sense that that view came out from that time? It's the, why I have the hardest time with it. We're not very awesome as humans. We're kind of losers. That's why we need Jesus, Amen. <laughs> So the amillennial view is something that's been held for a very long time. It's got some history here. It's got weight, you guys. And, and the fact is, is that, uh, you know, the, the kind of the keys of this is that it holds that the millennial reign of Christ, or the millennial reign, should I say, is symbolic. It's not real. Jesus is not going to come back, land on earth, set up an earthly kingdom for a thousand years. What they believe is that essentially we're in the millennial kingdom right now, that this is it, that this is what's going on. Okay. <laughs> And then he's going to come back and he's going to do the last judgment. The old earth and the, and the old heaven is going to pass away and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth right then and there. There will be no earthly kingdom because we're going to be in heaven. That's what they believe. And there's plenty of people that hold that view. So it's a popular viewpoint. And as we dig through this chapter, I'm going to do my best to fill you in on basically two views. The one I hold to the most, which is the premillennialism. And I'm going to talk about amillennialism because personally... If, if you hold the view of postmillennialism, you're not alone. People do. I struggle with that one. So I'm not going to touch on that one very much. But the reality is, you guys, I'm going to do my best to fill you in on these two views because they have major influence on how you interpret this chapter. And again, I need you to understand, there's not one wrong and one right. Because at the end of the day, we need to recognize this. As a premillennialist, if you're here and you're in that camp with me, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to be upset and wag my finger at Jesus if he returns and says, all right, we're going to heaven, guys. There is no millennial reign. I'm not going to be like, wait a minute. That is not right. Right? I'm not going to do that. And I don't think an amillennialist, if he is, you know, I don't think that person is going to be terribly upset if they're raptured and they're on their way up and they're going to be like, this isn't how this is supposed to go. I don't think that's how that's going to work, you guys. Jesus knows when he's coming back. He knows the perfect time, right? Or God knows when, he, when Jesus is coming back, right? At the, at the best, right? We know that no man knows the time or the hour. So at best, right? Like Jesus is God. 
I believe he knows now that he's in heaven, but he didn't know why he was on earth, and that's why he didn't give us a real clear answer on it. But the reality is, you guys, is that guess what? It will be the perfect time, and it will be in the perfect way. So let's not spend a lot of time arguing about it. That was a huge intro. Why? To try to make sure we're not going to argue about it. Verse 3. says this, you guys. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. We're gonna stop there. You guys were told, in Mark 13, chapter 3, that these disciples that came and asked Jesus this question were four of them, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Peter, Andrew, James, and John were the four that specifically kind of pulled, you know, went over to Jesus privately and were like, hey, like, I, we have a couple questions for you. And I need us to understand where these questions are coming from. You guys remember what just happened? What just happened? You guys, we talked about it last week, right? We just talked about it in the first two verses, Right? Like that basically, they're like, hey, Jesus, we know you're in a bummer of a mood. And like, you've been asked all these hard questions and things are going down that you're like kind of a downer on everybody right now. So like, take a look at the temple. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it amazing? And he was just like, you guys, not one stone's going to be left upon itself. Like this whole thing's going to be destroyed. And then they're like, oh, now we're in a bummer of a mood. <laughs> like, oh. What just happened? You guys got to remember that they viewed the temple as the very center of how you interact with God at this point. That's how they viewed it. That's how the disciples viewed it. That's how the Jews viewed it. They viewed it in a way, and they were beginning to understand that Jesus was the Messiah. They, they were having inclinations towards that, but even then, they still didn't really get it yet, right? We, we know that because whenever Jesus died, they all ran, right? If they didn't ran, if they didn't run because they were like, all right, now we're going to go bury you and wait. That would have been a clear sign that they understood it, but they didn't. They ran away. So they didn't still get it yet. And so whenever Jesus says, dude, the temple's going to be totally wrecked. It's going to be destroyed. Not one stone's going to be left upon itself for them. They're like, wait a minute, the entire world just collapsed on us. And so they come and they're like, dude, tell us when this is going to happen. Tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So they were getting a hold of the fact that, yeah, Jesus, you've been saying you're going to die. So you're coming back like, okay, you keep saying that. I don't quite get it, but there's something there. So what does all this mean? And how's this going to look? And you guys, they thought that when the building was destroyed, that it would surely be the end and that Jesus would return right then and there. So in their mind, they're asking this question, tell us when the temple's destroyed so we know when you're coming back. Like, how's all that going to look? Also keep in mind that Jesus had just thrown them for this loop, right? That everything had just been destroyed in their world. This catastrophic news that the temple was going to fall apart. And so they ask really two questions. Some scholars believe three. They try to split the end, right? And I'm just going to read it again to you. And you can pick for yourself whether you think it's two or three. What will these things be is the first question, right? When will, uh, when will these things be? Forgive me. And what will the sign of your coming and the end of the age what will be the sign of your coming and, and the end of the end of the age? Some people say, what will be the sign of your coming, question mark? And what will be the end of the age, question mark? And they separate those out. What's the answer there? I don't know. 
You guys got to understand if we want to get really deep, deep in the weeds, which we don't want to take too much time. But in the Greek, this stuff's hard to translate, man. There's like participles and all this other stuff that make it like where you could kind of make it into two questions or you could make it one question because in the Greek, it just all reads as one big long line. Having had to translate much of it, can I tell you? It's not fun. (laughs) So the fact is, you guys, these two questions are huge questions. And for an amillennial, they view the end of the age that he's talking about here as basically Jesus returning, like we showed in that sign, Jesus returning, old heaven, old, you know, an old earth wiped away, and then a new heaven and a new earth, and then we go to heaven. Is that right? Yeah. So that's, that's kind of how they view things. And so they think that the disciples are saying, look, like they're asking about the end of the age. And so they're asking, when is it all going to be done? When is all this going to come down? And so they equate the disciples asking this question with his return with the end of the earth. Do you understand how they get there? It makes sense, doesn't it? However, I do tend to see these questions a little differently. Because again, here's the truth. There is a sense in the disciples that the end of the temple would be the end of an age, wouldn't it? Like World War I, when it was over, was the end of an age, wasn't it? And World War II, right? Everything we can kind of, when the 9-11, when the towers fell, Pearl Harbor, those things for America, they were the end kind of ages of like, that changed something. This changed something. And so in some respects, we could look at it and say like, they're asking like, well, when's this going to happen? Because that's going to end something in some small sense. But also remember that the disciples, they supposed you guys before this, they keep saying Jesus is going to come in and wipe out Rome. That's what all the Jews felt. That's basically what they felt. Why? So that he could wipe out Rome and take over the earthly kingdom. So there is a sense within the disciples' minds and within the Jewish mindset that God was going to send his Messiah to set up an earthly kingdom. Now, which one's right? Well, we're going to read next is that Jesus does a great job of kind of answering, but not answering, (laughs) right? Because the answer is to this is that Jesus knows what's up and we don't. That's the answer. So when we read through this, you guys need to be Bereans and dig through this, right? It's not far-fetched to think that his return would have some form of, of earthly kingdom, but it's also not out of the realm of possibility that we completely missed it just like, or we're completely not understanding it the way we think we will when he returns. Is that, do you guys get what I'm getting at? Yeah. I have some people being like, What? <laughs> What I'm trying to say is we don't know what we don't know, and that's okay, right? So, how's he answer the question? Well, he starts by answering this way. Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And if you look at those two questions, I'd be like, okay, right? So his answer begins with a warning, and take heed, let no one deceive you. Because many are going to come and say that they're the Christ. And we need to keep in mind here that he's speaking to these disciples. And so this information that Jesus was passing on was to them. And so there's a question of context here, right? Who was he speaking to? Like, he was speaking to the disciples, but in what context? Was he speaking to them and only them? Was he saying, listen, when I die, there's going to be other guys that come and say that I'm him. Was that what he was saying? Or was he... Speaking more generically in long-term kind of a brush stroke of like for us to read this and say, hey, take heed because there's going to be people that come and say that I'm the Messiah. Well, I think the answer is yes. 
I think the answer is yes. They're both true, aren't they? You guys, there are false messiahs that rose up during this time. There were false messiahs that had risen up before. Flip over with me to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verse 34. This is after Christ had been resurrected. He, he's, you know, ascended to heaven. And then the disciples, they're out there. They're doing their thing. The apostles are telling everybody about Jesus and they're doing their stuff and they keep getting arrested and stuff keeps happening, right? And so here they are before the Sanhedrin. And this is what Gamaliel, who is a very wise Pharisee said in verse 34 of chapter five in Acts, it says this, then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in respect by all the people and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, uh, Theudas rose up claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400 joined him. He was slain and all who, all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. Y'all, we are reading this today. That should give you a little insight that this is of the Lord. Amen? Amen. So there were these false guys, false messiahs rising up even before Jesus was there and after. But it doesn't mean that this is only them. Don't we have false messiahs? Don't you guys know of any? I've got two in my mind that I looked at. And I, I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole and I was going to put pictures up and I, I'm kind of glad I didn't because it was a little disturbing. You guys old enough to remember Jim Jones? Yeah. That's where we get the phrase, don't drink the Kool-Aid. By the way, it was Flavor-Aid, not Kool-Aid. <laughs> Poor Kool-Aid. Over 900 people drank cyanide lace Flavor-Aid and died. Why? Because this guy said he was the Messiah. Over 900 people, 300 plus kids. Kids. What about David Koresh? Found a quote from David Koresh that says, if the Bible is true, then I am Christ. That's scary. And yet, people died with him. Those are just two examples, you guys. There are people nowadays, there are plenty of other people that I didn't mention. There are people that we probably just don't know about yet that have some weird cult out in some Timbuktu, Utah or something, right? Oh. My, my daughter lives in Utah. Our daughter lives in Utah. She'd be like, you jerk. You guys, we can look through all throughout history and see people that have claimed to be Jesus or Jesus reincarnated or just the Messiah. And Jesus is warning us here, hey, look out for that, right? It's for them and it's for us. We need to look out for that. Let's keep reading verse six. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings, beginning of sorrows. 
All these are the beginning of sorrows. You guys, he says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. And then he says this, see that you are not troubled. I don't know about you guys, but there's a great deal of rest to be found in that little statement right there. Isn't there? There's a great deal of rest. We can look at that. We can see it. And we can see that, listen, humanity, they're going to continue to strive and fight with each other. Yay. It's another reason why I just don't hold to that post-millennial view. Because I, I just see us as huma- in our humanity, greedy, selfish, self-centered, power-hungry, right? And I'm just describing me, you guys. Right? Like, we, we've got a lot of junk going on in ourselves. And so, man, here he is. He's saying, like, there, there's going to be rewards. There's going to be rumors of wars. These things are, are going to happen. Don't be troubled about it. Things on this earth, you guys, have been damaged since the fall. From Cain killing Abel to Russia invading Ukraine, it's damaged. This world is damaged. This is the way of the sinful world, you guys. And and it is that way. And and Jesus makes it clear, like, yeah, this stuff's coming. It's going to happen. Right? But he says they're not the end. Right? They're the beginning. And I think we get a clearer understanding of what he's getting at here when we understand something in the Greek here. If we understand that the literal translation of all these things are the beginning of sorrows, this is the literal translation. These are the beginnings of labor pains. Ladies that have had babies in here, are your first labor pains nearly as bad as the ones near the end? I mean, I've only experienced it, you know, by proxy. I learned one very valuable thing as a husband on a side note. Any, any man in here that hasn't had a child yet know this. Do not ever give your pregnant wife your whole hand to squeeze. Your knuckles will be broken. And I was told this before we had the baby, and yet I did it. And the nurse that was on the other end was like, one finger, one finger. And so when I could pry my, I literally, guys, I was like this. And I was like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> So she got done with the spasm and I was like, okay. <laughs> and then I gave her one finger. She squeezed the heck out of that thing. It was white by the time it was done. But guess what? It didn't hurt. Little side, side lesson for y'all. Yeah. <laughs> but listen, If you understand that the literal translation here is that these are the beginning of labor pains, when a woman first goes into labor, it may seem bad. And I'm sure it's not good. I'm not up here acting like I understand it because I don't. But I know this. It may seem bad, but it's not as bad as it's going to get. And that's what he's saying. Don't be worried about these ones in the beginning. It's going to get way worse. So don't be freaked out and scared at the beginning of labor pains. And the reality is, and I want to encourage you guys in this, because listen, yes, I do think there's value in kind of examining the times we're told in scripture, like keep track of what's going on, but don't put so much weight on the fact that you're like, Russia's invading Ukraine. That means this, and that means that, and then this, and then that, and then this. And you've played a whole chess match in your head of how God's going to do it. And you're like, what? Because I'll be honest, just looking back through history, I would have thought that everything was coming to an end in World War II, and it didn't. I mean, just being real. I would have thought that the world was coming to an end in a lot of different times throughout history that it, it didn't. 
And so can we just trust that God knows what he's doing? And can we also take Jesus' word seriously here where he says this, see that you are not troubled. Don't freak out about it. Now, I need us to understand something. I don't know about you, but I believe it all makes sense what he's saying here, that there's going to be this groaning, this thing that's happening, famine, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. The truth is, you guys, we as humans have been in conflict ever since the fall. The earth is groaning for a return to perfection. So it seems obvious to me that earthquakes are getting worse and that, the, that everything's kind of falling apart. And yeah, maybe, listen, I'm not here to try to act like I'm a scientist and I understand everything. I'm not acting like that. But I'm like, yeah, maybe we did have a part to play as humans because our sinfulness has ruined this earth. That could be true. But the reality is the earth is groaning to return to perfection. I believe that with all my heart. The earth was like, dude, we were good. What'd you do? Right? And then we pollute it more. And then they're like, what are you doing? But the fact is, you guys, it seems obvious to me that there's going to be wars, that we're going to continue to see that until Jesus returns. The earth is going to get worse and worse and worse as time continues. But Here's the other thing. Our human condition is getting worse. You guys know that our DNA started out perfect? Think about that. God created our DNA. Before scientists knew about DNA, it was already there. God created it. Perfect. So I want us to process this thought. We started out geniuses. Think about that. Adam lived a good long time. He named every animal. He did all these things. That took somebody with a big old brain. That one's a cow. That's a camel. Why? Because it's got a long neck. Why does that mean? I don't know. We started out geniuses, you guys. You know how much of, we, of our brain we use now? Not much. I think Albert Einstein was quoted as they did tests on his brain and stuff, and they say that he used 10%, which was more than we do. 10%, you guys. And he was a genius by our standard, right? The guy was amazing. Now we have Google instead of our memory. And there's a lot of people, and some people maybe even here, hopefully in their past history, that bake their brain with whatever drug or alcoholic beverage they enjoyed. We do everything we can to ruin this thing. And it's getting worse. Generation by generation by generation. You guys, I know you're encouraged. But the fact is, can I just, can I say something? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, don't be troubled by this. All these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. And he talks about all these things, and he says that they're the beginning of the sorrow. But the reality is, you guys, here's what he's really getting at. We need to not give up. Why? Because we have hope, Christian. If you're here today and you believe in Jesus, you have hope. And I don't care what your eschatological position is, because all of us believe that he is returning. Do you understand? There's hope. There is a hope here. And so I want to encourage us. We need to keep praying. Right now, we need to be praying for the Ukrainians that are in harm's way. We need to pray for the Russian soldiers. We need to pray for the Ukrainian soldiers. We need to pray for Vladimir Putin. And we need to pray for that guy that <laughs> runs Ukraine. Can't remember his name. Oh, Lord. That guy. You guys, we need to be praying for these, these people right now because guess what, you guys? We don't know what's around the corner and who else is getting ready to fight it. We don't. We need to pray for our leadership. 
I don't want their job. Do you? No. The fact is, you guys, the church should never give up or throw in the towel because Jesus isn't back yet. Period. And so if you're here today and you're a Christian, can I just tell you, keep praying, keep pressing in, keep telling about Jesus, telling people about Jesus. Do it. Don't stop until the day that the trumpet blows and we're raptured or the day that he just returns and sets foot on earth and we all go to heaven or the day of however that looks. Keep praying. Keep telling people about Jesus. Keep pressing in. That's what matters. So you guys, that's all the further I wanted to get today. I'm doing really good on time. That's because my conclusion is 100 miles long. (laughs) You said, "Uh uh-oh, that's me. (laughs) The reality that Jesus is laying out here is that things are coming to an end, period. There will be an end, you guys. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus yet, I'm going to encourage you once again, you guys. Listen, Jesus wasn't messing around. He's either who he says he is. He's either the son of God or he's an absolute lunatic. And I, I really believe that he was the son of God. I hold to that. Absolutely. And the fact is, is that some people wonder, why didn't he just come right out and make things really clear? And there's some real reasons why I think he didn't. You guys got to remember, he was fully God and fully man. And so there's a real sense that he knew many, many things. We know he knew many, many things. He knew the thoughts of the Pharisees. He knew all these things. But the reality is, it seems like while he was on earth, at least at a minimum, he didn't know the day that it would all end. Jesus himself said, no man knows the day or the hour. And that was in Acts 1-7, right? So is it possible that he just didn't know? Yeah, it's quite possible. It's very possible. It's very possible that in heaven right now, he still doesn't know and that God still, the father is still holding it. I don't necessarily hold to that because he's Trinity and he's God. And so I kind of have a thought that now that he's back in heaven, he knows. And never forget the fact that he knew before, but he set it aside Mm -hmm. to come down to earth, right? He was fully God and fully man. The only parts of him that he didn't know is things he chose to set aside, Another reason that many people feel that Jesus didn't make it super plain and keep it vague is this, you guys. It was his, God's way of keeping every generation focused and ready for Jesus' return. There's a, a quote by David Guzik that I really, really liked. It says this, we should not think of Jesus' return as an event far off on a timeline, but something we have been running parallel with since the day of Pentecost. His return could be at any time. There's nothing prophetically that's holding him back from returning. There's nothing biblically that says, this has to happen and then we'll see the Messiah return. No, it's all done. It's been done. And so we've been running parallel. We're just waiting on the lines to converge. And when's that going to happen? We don't know. How's it going to happen? We don't know. But we should be, I believe, honestly, ready. The Bible tells us that. Keep your wick trimmed. Be ready. Be ready for when the Lord returns. And so as we dig through and continue to dig through the Olivet Discourse, again, I want to encourage you guys, read ahead. Read ahead. Read ahead and do like me and be like, what the heck does that mean? You know? Read ahead. Study. Pray. Seek the Lord on this. Come in hungry and ready. Come in and and ready to be like, no, I completely disagree with you on that, Pastor. To which I can be like, well, that's cool. 
Go to God and ask him hard questions. Ask him hard questions. He's okay with that. You realize he's got answers? And you realize that answer might be like, that's not for you right now. Don't shy away from hard things, church. Don't shy away from hard things. But also remember, this passage has been debated for thousands of years. Thousands of years. And the end result, you guys, of these different views, the end result of what we see with these different views that people kind of have come up with is this. The end result is is that Jesus is still returning. No one disagrees with that. That's the thing that matters. So the question I have for each person that here is, for here, each person that is here is this. Are you guys ready? Are you ready? Accepting the work that Jesus did on the cross and his resurrection, to be honest, is the absolute easiest process that anyone has ever asked anything of, anyone of. Does that make sense? You guys. It's the easiest thing in the world. You accept a free gift that was given to you. All the hard work, he did. He had his flesh ripped off. He had his ribs shown. He was nailed to a cross. He drowned in his own body fluid. He died for you and for me. He did all that work. And the only thing he says is, accept it. Accept that work. And the fact is, it's the easiest thing, but for many, it's the hardest thing to do. Why? Because it means that you're not the God that you thought you were. It means that you realize that you're actually a sinner, like the rest of us, and that you're not perfect. And the fact is, you guys, is that it leads you to a place that you feel and you know that you need a savior, and that's hard for a lot of people. Because there's a lot of pride in people's hearts. There was a lot of pride in this heart before I accepted Christ. Still is. So I pray if that's you here today, that today would be the day you would accept him. And I got one other thing to say. Because I believe in a rapture, I believe God will not return until the last person that needs to be saved is getting saved. So if you're it, would you please get on with it? Because I want to go home. Christian, this whole passage, the stuff we're going to keep reading, it makes me ask you a question. Are you living in light of the truth that Jesus is coming back? Is that your focus? Or are you entirely wrapped up in the world around you and all the stuff? I think that's a question, you guys, that we all should be asking ourselves a lot of times. Is there anything wrong with having stuff? Nope. I like my stuff. Is there anything wrong with going out and having a great time? Is there anything wrong with being successful in your job? None of those things are wrong, but if they're not bent from the perspective of this, what does this mean, Jesus, and how do you want to use it? Then I feel like you need to ask yourself again, why am I doing these things? What's the point of all this? And so I want to challenge you guys. Go to the Holy Spirit. Ask that question. If you're here today and you're not a believer, come to Jesus today. Stop waiting. Because if I'm right and we have a rapture, it could happen at any moment. And when everybody's gone that is here in this church, and I pray that it is everybody here, well, then you're going to have to step up here and be the pastor and be like, my pastor told me these things and I didn't listen, but he left his Bible behind, so I'm reading it. 
And I pray that is exactly what happens for anybody that's left behind. I pray that this church is stacked full the day after the rapture if that's what happens. I do. But the reality is, you guys, is that we all have questions to ask ourselves all the time. We should be wrestling with the Lord on what we see eschatologically. And, and that main thrust of that shouldn't be to have a right answer and be like, oh, look how smart I am and how good and amazing I am that I know what I know or what I think I know about how the end times are going to go. The bigger thing with eschatology is this, you guys, is that it should be renewing us. It should be having us review in our mind, Lord, am I living my life for you today? Because if you come back and I have left some things undone that you wanted me to do, shame on me. So I, I don't know. To me, this is a great chance, church, to just take a break and be like, Lord, all this stuff that I'm worried about, you're telling me not to worry about wars and I'm worried about the fact that my kitchen sink is dripping. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Let's just take a moment and kind of re refresh in our own hearts. Like, Lord, what, what's the point of all this? And why am I, why am I here? Like, what, what, what's the main thrust of this? And I'll, I, I can give you the answer to that. That is this, to go out into the world, tell people about Jesus and live a life for Christ. That's why you're here. If that's not who you are yet, you're here to accept Christ so that you can start going out into the world, telling people about Jesus and living a life for Christ. That's it. Super easy. Let's pray. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.